From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. In each episode of this podcast, Tammy Katzoff talks to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, Tammy spoke with Dr. Lucy Purier, class of 1981, a psychiatrist in Houston, Texas, and medical director of the Center for Reproductive Psychiatry, a women's mental health clinic affiliated with Texas Children's Hospital. Tammy sat down with Dr. Purier in the WMUH studios, and as she does with all of these interviews, Tammy began the conversation by asking how and when she became interested in her occupation. I grew up during the Vietnam War, and my parents were politically active at the time, and I grew up listening to sort of Vietnam War protest music, and and my parents were involved with lots of civil liberty issues and poverty issues. So I grew up in a family where fighting for the underdog and doing the right thing was just part of the the culture we grew up in. I campaigned for George McGovern when I was 13. So sort of being very politically active and, and politically aware. And around the time, I might have my dates a little off, but I think the Equal Rights Amendment was also part of the, the cultural scene. And so I just grew up being very interested in women's rights. And so in my mind, I took that sort of politically motivated background and came to Muhlenberg College as a pre-med major, which at the time I came to Muhlenberg was a pretty competitive, pretty unpleasant (laughs) major to be a part of. It was pretty cutthroat Mm -hmm. and competitive. And I quickly got involved in the theater department, the psychology department, ended up graduating with a theater and psychology degree. Long story short, decided I really did want to be a doctor, which is what my father is, and managed to take the classes I needed and, and go to medical school with the thought that I was going to be a obstetrician gynecologist. So I was going to be a, a women's health doctor because I had always sort of carried with me that I wanted to be a, a doctor who fought for women. And at the time when I was in medical school, most of the OBGYNs were men and it was a very paternalistic medical profession. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a woman in this male-dominated field and sort of change the culture and take better care of women. Great idea. But in medical school, I took my psychiatry rotation. And all of a sudden, there was a convergence of my interest in science and theater. I have a creative brain and I have a science brain. And psychiatry, when you uh, visit a psychiatric emergency room or a psychiatric inpatient unit are full of people struggling with pretty severe mental illnesses, but they have stories and their stories are scary and creative and dramatic and, and they have histories as to how they came to be there. And I found going to, to my psychiatry rotation and listening to stories and talking to people, all of a sudden this convergence of my creative brain and my science brain and the convergence of fighting for the underdog because Mm -hmm. there's so much stigma surrounding mental health and mental health care is so underserved and so under-recognized and 
poor people can't get mental health care and rich people actually can't really get mental health care. There's just not enough of it around. It was the perfect storm of what fit me. It was it was fighting stigma, fighting for the underdog, fighting for the underserved, my creative side, my scientific side. And I decided to go into psychiatry, which wasn't really the women's health field I thought I was going to go into until one day I sat in on a lecture, someone talking about treating pregnant women with mental illness. And if you thought mental illness was stigmatized and women were stigmatized, think about a woman who's pregnant with mental illness. And in the time, they were told you either couldn't have children or you had to terminate a pregnancy because you can't take psychiatric medicines while you're pregnant or you had to choose between mental health, which meant taking medicines or not having children. So I was like, this is my calling. I'm going to treat women who are not getting cared for in the way they need to be. And that was about 25 or 30 years ago. And I got into the field of women's mental health. What I discovered and, and what meant something to me was you can be a doctor who treats diabetes, which is great. And you can save lives and you can make a difference in someone's life. But when you treat someone's mental health or mental illness, you're not only treating that person, but you're treating their, their children and their family and their community and the people they work with. And so you, you're actually having an impact on generations. And that to me was a blessing and a, and a real privilege to be able to make that kind of difference in people's lives. And how long have you been in Houston? My parents moved to Texas, which is where they, they were originally from, um, when I was at Muhlenberg in college. Hmm. We were in Baltimore when I came here, and then my parents decided to move back to Texas. So I ended up back in Texas about 30 years ago. I lost, lost track. But <laughs> I, if people ask me where my home is, I kind of always say I grew up in Baltimore because my heart's kind of still in the Northeast. Hmm. So. So I imagine that you don't necessarily have a typical day at work, but could you kind of describe what a, a day for you is like? I have a mix of things I do. I see patients, but I also teach and I also do a little bit of research and writing and some administration. If it's a day in my clinic, I see various types of people. I will see sometimes a woman coming in who has a history of bipolar disorder and is on medication and wants to know if she can get pregnant. So we'll talk about her history and her story and what medication she's on and, and can she take those and still have a child. Or I'll see someone who has never had a history of any mental health issues at all and just had a baby and a month later is having a profound depression just out of the blue, which can, can happen to about 10 to 15% of women. So I will talk to her about treatment options and sort of her concerns about being a mom and breastfeeding and taking care of a baby. Some of the best um, experiences I have is when a mom comes in or a family comes in and they've been really struggling and four weeks later, six weeks later, they come back a different person. And tell me how much their lives have changed because of the treatment we've been able to provide. 
And those are just really wonderful days. I often work with residents who I'm teaching how to do what I do. And so just to see them light up when they have learning experiences that are gratifying for them and how appreciative they are that they get to experience being in the field that I'm in and the excitement that they pick up from the work we're doing. That's a lot of fun. So I I get to do all sorts of different stuff. I don't really have a typical day. What do you see as some of the common misconceptions about mental health? Wow, that's a big question. I think the most common misperception is that it happens to other people, that it's for those people. And if I'm doing a lecture with medical students, I used to ask the auditorium full of students, okay, anybody in here with mental illness, raise your hand. And nobody would. Or I'd get one brave person, maybe. And then my next question would be, okay, anybody in the room have a family member or a next door neighbor or a friend who has mental illness? And every single person in the room raises their hand. So I think there is this perception that it's not going to happen to me. It's not my family. It happens to all of us. It happens to everybody. It happens to doctors and lawyers and teachers and accountants and bus drivers. And it's not because you did something wrong or you're a bad person or your family's bad. It's because of a confluence of genetics and brain development and how you were raised and any traumas that happened to you. And it just happens. And so really having to talk to people about this is a medical illness that has the same kind of impact on your life as high blood pressure or diabetes or asthma or, and it's not your fault and it's okay to ask for help and you can get treatment for it and you don't have to be ashamed of it or embarrassed. I've been doing this work for a very long time. I have those conversations daily and trying to combat the, the shame and fear about the illness is a lifelong task. So being that you have been doing this type of work for a long time, one of the things that we focus on in this podcast is, is trends in different industries. So what are some of the changes that you've seen over the years within the clinical mental health field? And what do you foresee happening in the future that you're going to have to deal with? Um, I think there's some exciting changes coming. The brain's sort of a black box. Um, it's a very complicated organ that that it's really hard to understand. And, and when you think you have the brain pinned down, something new is learned and you're like, oh. So psychiatry, one of the things that's exciting about it, it's an ever-evolving science. And... The good news is that there are more and more treatments coming out to treat mental illness and and mental health issues. And we're learning more about, we're trying to personalize, this is true of all healthcare, but personalized medicine, where we're not just sort of throwing darts at a board and saying, okay, you have depression, we're just going to pick a drug. We're trying to get more individualized care where we can look at the genetics of a particular individual and say, okay, this is what you have. This treatment is going to work better for you than other treatments. And that's exciting because previous to 
having genetic testing, we kind of were just not guessing, but there was an art to trying to understand what treatment is going to work best for a particular patient. We're also getting new biologic treatments. Previously, we use antidepressants that increase serotonin in the brain. We're now looking at different kind of neurochemicals, neurotransmitters that do different things than serotonin. Ketamine is a popular treatment now that is actually an anesthesia agent that people are looking at. It's also a drug of abuse, but uh, we're looking at, speaking of drugs of abuse, people are looking at, at psilocybin, which is mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the same as like LSD? No, but it's a hallucinogen. Okay. It's a different chemical. I've been reading a lot about that recently. Right. So it's a hallucinogen that there's actually looking good studies looking at using psilocybin or mushrooms to treat depression. And there's some decent studies out there. It's early, so don't everybody go out and start buying mushrooms because they can have some negative side effects. But Mm -hmm. again, I think there's some exciting new treatments out there. And that's that's really good because a lot of the medicines we use sort of are broad stroke treatments that have side effects and sometimes don't work. So I think people are really doing more research and looking for treatments for mental illness. What are some of the things that are particularly challenging for you in your work? What are the things that you don't really like? If I'm advising a medical student about what field to go into, one of the things I say is look for something that excites you when you wake up in the morning that you still want to go do it. Look for something that you can read about and not fall asleep. Like if you're reading a journal article, you actually are enjoying reading it. But also look for something that the thing that you don't like about it, you can tolerate because there's no perfect job out there. <laughs> so every field's going to have something that you don't like about it, but that you need to be able to tolerate. One of the things that I actually have not liked about my job, there's several things, one of which is the stigma. So I have to argue with people sometimes about treatment. I have to convince them to take a medicine because there's shame and stigma about taking an antidepressant or an antipsychotic. And it's, you know, I get tired of fighting people's shame. Mm. And I'm still doing that. And and I feel bad for people that I have to convince them it's okay to, to get treatment. I don't like treating substance abuse. And I'll tell you why. For a long time, we've not had treatment for substance abuse. People who have abused substances alcohol, opiates, whatever, have been really disserviced. They get looked down on, like, this is your fault. You know, it's your fault you drink too much. It's your fault you're addicted to opiates. It's your fault. So it's frustrating when you have a group of people who have need help and, and you have nothing to help them with. There are more and more treatments coming out looking at how do we treat cocaine abuse? How do we treat opioid abuse? How do we treat alcohol abuse? So there are, there's more help for people. And I think we're working really hard at understanding that this is a disease, that these are often people, good people who, for no fault of their own, have gotten stuck in these addictive behaviors and then are addicted, which is a physiologic phenomenon that they can't stop. And they're not bad people. They need help. And so, you know, that's been something that I think a lot of physicians have struggled with 
And I think sometimes when we don't understand something, it's easier to blame the person with the problem than than actually really trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, as much as I have not liked treating substance abuse in the past, because they patients with substance abuse can be difficult to treat because they're trying to get their substance of choice because they're addicted to them. Mm-hmm. I actually am finding more compassion and and we're actually trying to open substance abuse treatment for pregnant women with opiate abuse. Huge problem in this country. Mm. And they've not had any place to go for help. That's an ugly side of medical care is that we've not done enough to help people with substance use disorders. So that's changing, but I will confess that that's not something that I've enjoyed very much Mm. in the past. It's hard. Is there a specific psychological theory or orientation that you kind of affiliate with? No. (laughs) This is a bias, but I think the best physicians are open to all perspectives. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is the best physicians listen to our patients. So I'll have patients coming in and saying to me, can I, I'm going to make up something, can I try acupressure on my left foot while I'm holding a crystal. And I'll say, sure, because I don't know. I I don't know if there's something about that that actually might be helpful. Freud had good theories. Carl Jung had good theories. There's new psychological theories coming out all the time. We're learning things all the time. There's dialectical behavioral therapy. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's acupuncture, which I don't understand, but there's decent research that it can be helpful. So when people come to me with, there's now a tapping kind of therapy that don't ask me how it works, but it's a new kind of thing that people are doing, okay. trying to rewire the brain in some way. Okay. <laughs> and and so I really try and be open-minded about what's out there and what people are telling me. Because People used to come all the time and talk about diet. Is diet contributing to my mental illness or my mental health? And I'd be like, no, there's no research that says what you eat makes any difference. Well, actually, there is now. The gut microbiome and the bacteria that live in our guts actually is a huge area of research in all sorts of disease states, including mental illness. And so there actually is a gut-brain link. Who knew? So there's not one theory of that I sort of live by or support. I'm pretty open-minded about things. If you were speaking with somebody, um, whether it's a, a college student or anybody really, who wants to do what you do, what kind of guidance would you give? What would be your words of wisdom to that person? I took a circuitous route, actually majored in theater, long story, went to nursing school. It took me a long time to get to med school. I will say, however, one thing I I try and tell my kids and high school students and college-age kids, life is long, and one of the most important things about what I do in particular is having life experience and knowing yourself and knowing people. I think it's why a liberal arts education is so valuable and why theater actually was a really good major for med school. I think it's really important to have a well-rounded life, have a work-life balance. So I would 
sort of pursue your your dreams and your passions in college. And certainly, if you want to go to medical school right out of college, that's absolutely fine. Um, but going to medical school with an open mind, I think uh, I run into students all the time who go to medical school and are going to be surgeons and they have to do a psychiatry rotation but think it's a waste of time because they're not going to be psychiatrists. And every medical field, you need to know psychiatry because mental health issues are in every medical field. So I would tell medical students, keep an open mind, talk to people, listen to people. You don't have to make straight A's in medical school. You have to graduate, Mm. but you don't have to graduate number one in your class. You can if you want to. That's a lofty goal. Doctors need to be healthy. We We need to take care of ourselves, and we need to be healthy people to be able to take care of other people, particularly psychiatrists. And so I, I would say have a well-rounded life, study hard, focus on relationships, focus on listening, and also do what you love because medicine's really hard and there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of giving up things. So when you do it, it needs to be because there's nothing else you want to be doing and, mm-hmm. and you feel, I feel medicine is a calling. I hear people who go into becoming pastors or even, you know, teachers or other things that they feel called to be in that field. And it's really a field you need to be called to. Don't go into it because you think you're going to make a lot of money because that that's changing these days. And you need to go into it because it's who you are and what you're called to. It is a privilege to be trusted with someone's life, whether it's their life story, their life's pain or their body's pain, or their body's health, or mind's health, it is an extraordinary privilege that I feel like I've had a life well lived, and for that I'm very grateful. This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded by Paul Kromposky, and engineered by Morgan Walper at the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band. <laughs>